Welcome to Something for the Turbo, the new weekly podcast brought to you by Unfound, the global platform for the travel-loving cyclist. Hi everyone, thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Something for the Turbo. We, as ever, hugely appreciate the continued support. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe and make sure you're passing the pod as well. Tell all your cycling friends. And if you're on whatever platform you use and there's an option to leave a review, why don't you leave us a kind review? We'd really appreciate that. We've had some lovely ones so far and we've had some lovely feedback. Hugely appreciate all the messages we've received across all the social media platforms, but also on the hub itself. If you aren't aware of what the hub is or you haven't discovered it yet, go and download the Unfound app from Google Play or or the App Store or just go to the website which is www.unfound.cc that's www.unfound.cc it's really easy to register on there and you can join a global community of cyclists I think we've got people from 160 countries on there now and you can share rides and photos and share articles ask questions whatever you want it'd be great to get more of you more active on there we really need some more content so please do get active on there keep posting We've got lots of passive users, but it'd be great to have some more posts on there. Anyway, probably crack on with today's podcast. I caught up with Rich Lang, who basically ticks every box with regards to the people that we like having on here in terms of topics we like to cover. He's a former Australian pro, having raced internationally with the Australian Institutes of Sport alongside Michael Matthews, Luke Durbridge, Rowan Dennis and others before racing with Pro Conti team Rafa in the UK. After making the decision to retire at 24, he studied before setting up a business community in Haute Rouleurs and becoming a coach. It was during this time Rich had the idea to set up Spoked, making him a tech startup entrepreneur. Spoke sits nicely as an option between out-of-the-box training plans that you get with Zwift, Trainer Road, Training Peaks and, and other platforms, and also engaging in a full-time coach. This online training and coaching platform is his mission to make it simpler, more personal and smarter to train and get faster. Rich talks us through all of this. And we also speak to friend of Unfound, Mark Burrows, who's very kindly volunteered to undergo an eight-week training trial of the Spoke platform. We'll rendezvous in eight weeks' time to hear how Mark found the platform, the training, and any improvements in his performance. And Rich will also be able to give a detailed breakdown of how compliant Mark was with his training and how he felt Mark got on. Anyway, all in all, let's crack on with today's chat. It's a really interesting conversation, well worth a listen. And we look forward to catching up with both Mark and Rich again in a few weeks' time. Without further ado, let me bring you Rich and Mark. Rich, Mark, thank you both very much for joining us. How are you both doing? You all good? Going really well, going really well. It's sunny up in Manchester, so I can't complain. I'm good, thank you, Julian. It's raining down this end of the world, isn't it, Mark? It's been pouring down. Crazy storms. Look, why don't we start by, Rich, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, how you got into racing, and you're in Manchester now, but you're originally from Oz, right? Correct, yeah, I'm a Sydney boy, and what brought me over to the UK was cycling. So I started my cycling career at the age of 16, which is probably... Quite late in today's sort of standards, yeah. uh, but my old man, he was a rider, sort of master's rider. He got to sort of master's world champ, Aussie champ, and he just knew how hard this sport is. So he was always sort of delaying me. And I was quite active uh, when I was younger, sort of got into rugby league, um, did basketball union, uh, but really sort of forced to, Dad, I want to ride my bike now. So yes, yeah, yeah, I really had to sort of... He, he was kind of keen to keep you away from, from racing bikes as a youngster. He wanted to give you the option to play a lot of different sports or he didn't really want you pursuing that professional cycling um, career. I think if he knew I was going to start cycling, he knows how, how hard the sport is. Yeah, that's what and, I mean. And to reach, you know, the top levels, you have to commit everything. So if he wanted me to do that, he wanted to make sure that I was ready and, you know, really ready for it. Yeah. But it probably helped me, you know, in hindsight, but it probably sort of missed out a little bit on the sort of skill side of things. Yeah. But it w- wasn't too bad. But, you know, I started at 16 
and you know you just also just about sort of progression so you know you started the local scene you know do you you started in d grade you know don't know how to race and then you moved to c ba and then starting to regional sort of state level so a lot of sort of state track champs so i started on the track and then sort of did the road season yeah um but i sorry it's only when i probably got to about age 20 that I could climb with the main bunch. And I sort of had my breakout year in Australia where one Aussie was, became Aussie champ uh, on the track in the Omnium and then won a, a stage race, um, I won a stage in every sort of tour in Australia. And that sort of forced my way into the Aussie squad because um, when I was sort of like for junior worlds, sort of that anywhere, you sort of I think 16 to 17, there's like so much pressure to go to junior worlds. And I cracked, I cracked under that pressure a little bit. And we think, oh, that's it. My career's over. But it's like, no, nah, no, nah, take a step back, reassess. And uh, when again, I was able to sort of force my way into the Aussie team. So I, as a third year under 23, was able to ride for AIS and um, did two years in Italy, which was definitely an interesting experience. Yeah, amazing. Amazing. But you had a meteoric rise then from starting cycling at 16 to, to being at that level at 20. It must have been, yeah, talk, talk us through how it progressed so quickly. Well, it didn't feel like it was quick. I can still no. like think back when I was like 18 doing like a national road race and thinking, yep, there's a hill coming up. I'm going to get dropped here. That's the force my way. You know, like the sliding glide where you got to get to the front of the bunch before the climb. And then hopefully when you get to the top of the climb, you're at the back so you can hang on. God, yeah, but it's just all about progression, I, and I think you know cycling is just you know year after year. You know the training that you do this year, you know benefits you next year, and you know it's just sort of continuously absorbing that workload. Um, and maybe that's sort of why I mean I started a little bit later, so maybe it took a couple of years to sort of get to that twenty twenty one. But like yeah. my big year, all oh, Europe was definitely an interesting experience. Where went over to Italy, so it's sort of always done. You know, you've done the local, regional, state, national levels. So always worked my way up. Um, through the scenes get to Europe wow what a shock to the system that was that was literally um, you know you look at the road race and you think okay where's Gruppetto gonna form yep that's where I need to be that's how like first year was and I was um, like in a phenomenal year where we had like Michael Matthews Rowan Dennis Michael Hepburn Luke Durbridge yeah those guys are like you know looking back on now they didn't do anything special in their training but they were just sort of natural athletes that could just absorb a phenomenal amount of workload and just respond to it. And you could see that even at that young age, you could see they, they had something a little bit different. Yeah, it's like we, I think it was like Tour of Japan or something where Michael Matthews did something to his back a couple of weeks before uh, the tour, hardly touched his bike two weeks, two, three weeks before the race. And then I think he ends up winning like two stages or something like that. Wow. Yeah, genetics play a big role, right? 100%. But I, I did my first year and I got battered. I got caught in a bad cycle where it's like I'd get dropped and I think, oh, I just don't have enough energy. And then, you know, on stage racing, you got all the buffets, you're eating breakfast, lunch, you know, dinner. And I actually put on weight throughout the season and I got back to Australia, got back into the routine because it's, it's definitely quite a culture shock. You know, in Australia, we're quite isolated and then going all the way to Europe, different time zones, you know, catching up with family and friends back home. Um, yeah. So it took some adjustment, but eventually got back home, regrouped, got back into a routine, um, really sort of focused on the food, the training. And yeah, it came out in the next year having a sort of a ripper start of the season where I ended up winning Oceana Road Race, um, so I won 23 in Elite. And then a week later, uh, winning a big Italian race in Piva. But then it was only a couple of weeks later where I um, had a big crash and sort of did my knee in. And that was sort of like, I had to have two months off the bike. And I was like, geez, this can't be happening now. Like last year under 23, there's so much pressure. You know, we want to always aspire, you know, to go world tour, pro Conti. Yeah, Damn, this cannot happen now. But I think we as cyclists, you know, no matter what level we are, you know, we're always trying to focus on the processes 
and, you know, looking for the opportunities in different situations. Yeah. So I may have did my knee and I can't ride, but, you know, I can focus on my flexibility, focus on my mental state, focus on my core and just slowly just go through the process of that, which is a little bit frustrated at times because, you know, trying to get to that next level, you're trying to put out feelers, trying to speak to sort of teams and you're sort of having some conversations, but it's like, you need one more result. You need to show consistency through the year. You need a top and tail of the year. So, yeah, so regrouped. Okay, second half of the season, I'm going to be going for it. And I was quite fortunate having won Oceana as that secured my world spot uh, for Copenhagen uh, for the uh, road race. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So then the guys were, so the team goes, okay, you can do Tour Lavenir and then Giro Val d'Osta, which is like pretty much the highest level races you can do as an under 23 rider. I thought, perfect. This is unreal prep for for worlds so yeah so slowly build up form um get to Giro Val d'Osta look I'm, I'm not a natural climber I'm more like a fast all-rounder now I can climb but not I'm not on a climber at all so I was like sort of top 40 top 50 amongst um these races sort of in the real hilly days good result um we've got top 10 in a stage and then come to a lavenir I uh, couldn't believe it where I had uh two two nerves dying in in my mouth so I don't know whether you've had your, your teeth around the nerves pass dying there. But I have to have two root canals and two crowns put on. Oh, but, but it's like through that process of the nerves dying where I couldn't even go to sleep during the night. Like the only way to have no pain in the mouth is to have water in the mouth. And it's not practical trying to go to sleep like that. So it was almost like just fizzled out a little bit where got to the last stage of Lavinia, but didn't really do anything throughout the whole race. And then Worlds sort of crashed out. And it's like quite a really disappointing back end to the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And that was a kind of a pivotal year in terms of, because it's so competitive trying to, trying to make it, isn't it? And trying to, trying to break through. Yeah, hundred percent. Cycling sort of that weird, weird sport where especially, um, you know, sort of under 23s, under 19s, where everyone's, you know, looking to go world tour, but it's, it's a team sport, but it's still an individual-based sport that, you know, as an under-23, you know, if you ride on the front, you know, between, you know, for every single race, you may not get noticed. You still have to pres- uh, produce results yeah, or get some really good – yeah. So it's always that fine line where we're always wanting, you know, to produce those results. But quite fortunate, um, before I signed with AIS, did Sun Tour in Australia, and that's where I got to uh, sort of meet John Harity and Christian House. And okay, yeah. Had a, just yeah. stayed in contact and yeah it was quite fortunate enough that um yeah finished under 23s you know reached out to john and there was an opportunity for rafa condo sharp i haven't even heard of rafa or like i really heard of the uk scene over here okay. yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Was, but for my personal situation where um you know my girlfriend's aussie oh, and she's now my wife you know she can come over she can work and i can still you know have a high level race program still racing abroad so it's a really good balance and I always thought, yep, you know, I'm coming home to the UK just to, you know, do cycling and I'll eventually end, end up back home. But here I am, here I am now, eight years later. Pardon? That was 2012 that you Correct. came over to the UK. And and Christian would have still been racing then, wouldn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah we had your former teammate on a couple of weeks ago then, Ed Laverack. Yeah, I listened to that podcast. Yeah. It was a good one. He's been on the, he was on the team for six years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, had a good stint there. So how did you find it arriving over here, apart from wet? Oh, another culture shock. Like, <laughs> even like training-wise, like the roads over here are so dead. So Yeah, they're, they're slow roads, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. We, so we, John lives in Cheshire. So we sort of came over there, rented a um, room from him, and then we sort of moved into sort of South Manchester. So we're only sort of 40 minutes, you know, and then you're in the peaks. But like yeah, back beautiful. home, 
is very bunch orientated. So we do clutes in the morning. So you're out of bed, maybe quarter past five, meet the bunch quarter to six or something or six o'clock. And then, you know, there's a hundred riders. You can do five hours, you know, yeah. still average over 30. And then you race in the evening. So that day, you know, you might get seven and a half hours in the saddle, um, you know, over 200 Ks. Where, where get, in Sydney were you, Rich? What, what, uh, were you north or south? Uh, inner west. So oh, inner uh, west. Okay. it's about half an hour from like the city center. Yeah. So yeah. Clutie was in King's Cross. So you sort of meet there and it's just like 100 riders just turn up. We're having a coffee before before the ride and then just away you go. And it's like, so you could do like big Ks in back home. Roads are fast. Get over here. You try and do like two, five hour or three, five hour days back to back. You're feeling yeah. it. It catches up with you. Yeah. And even just that was like, just couldn't get my head around it. And I kept cooking myself. And how did you find the racing? Aggressive. You know, it's it it good racing. It took a little bit just to get used to the scene, um, but I really enjoyed the racing. It's sort of my sort of uh, type of races where not super hilly, but yeah, it's quite lumpy and it, yeah, it's just on from the go. But it's it, you still had to watch it because it's still very, it was very team orientated. Like as soon as the right numbers got in the break, that was it. Race shuts down. Yeah. Cool. So you mentioned then, obviously, it was, it was difficult to get sort of back-to-back five-hour days. How did you address that? I mean, had, had you always been very structured with your training, or is that when you really started to pay more attention in, in terms of how, how you were training from a structure perspective? When, when did that come onto your radar? I think I always train with, you know, structure. I always had like a spreadsheet and document in my training. Mm-hmm. I think what I always got caught up in the cycle of is that sort of more is better and that, you know, you you ramp up the training, you know, your body responds, you know, you're putting out some, you know, good numbers, even with heavy fatigue and you think, yeah, I'll just push it a little bit more and, you know, yeah. and then before you know it, you're in a hole and then the only way to get out of the hole is to rest and so you rest your way out of it and the legs start feeling good and you're producing really good numbers again. And then it's like you get caught in that cycle again. Yeah. Um, well, from my perspective, it's quite nice to, it's quite, well, I suppose it's quite nice to hear pros fall into the same mistakes that I think a lot of amateurs fall into. Oh, yeah. It's, I think because we always want more. And it is that fine line between, you know, giving it everything and then just holding something back so you can have sort of, you know, good legs for the race. Because I was thinking back of this because I'm, um, you know, sometimes I coach a couple of other riders and we get used to like having a certain level of fatigue in the legs. And when that level goes, we feel like we're losing form when in fact, we know, we're just recovering. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it feels counter, counterintuitive, doesn't yeah. it? Hundred percent. But yeah, when you train hard, the way to improve is through the rest. Yeah. So you raced over here, what, four, four or five years or is that uh, I did two years, so two and a bit years where did year with Rafa, year with Team Rally. And then at the age of 24, I was going to ride just sort of more like a lower level um, sort of team, but still be able to do the Prems and um, sort of Nat Bs. But um, a sort of a sponsor fell through with one of the with the team and I wasn't going to ride for free. And I just sort of got to a point where it's like, I've sort of given everything to the sport. You know, I probably missed the boat, probably maybe mentally wasn't strong enough yeah. to sort of reach uh, the top level. And I was sort of at a, a crossroads where, you know, do I continue becoming a you know, good UK professional rider? And, you know, you can do that to say 30, 35. Or yeah. do I, you know, pull the pin on it now and, you know, try enter the real world, so to speak. And, uh, and I decided, okay, um, I'm just going to ride for fun. And I'm going to try, you know, do something within the real world. Nice. So what did you do? <laughs> yeah, well, put together my CV. I'm like, well, I don't even have enough experience to work in a coffee shop. But uh, our skill set as well as riders or, you know, people striving you know, for a goal is that, you know, you, you're resilient, you're persistent, you know, you're driven. So you, yeah. you are quite horrible. But I was going to work at Holland and Barrett during the day and then work in a wine bar in the evening. But 
quite luckily sort of a PT job pulled um, popped up. Okay. So I, I became a part-time PT, um, you know, really passionate about health and fitness. So I worked in a boutique PT gym uh, for about sort of six to eight months. And then, yeah, I was quite fortunate. I sort of met a couple of individuals and that provided the opportunity to build my own business. So um, I built a business called Oat Rulers and that was a, a business community in Manchester that we did um, corporate events, overseas travel. And, and that's what I really sort of started my online coaching um, sort of business. Ah. Yeah. So and this is where sort of where the spoked idea came about. Where yeah, okay, I was going to say so. So you started in that, and then sort of spoke came from that. Yeah, so started at Rulers. It was always going to be a lifestyle business. So and I and I left university when I was eighteen, nineteen, um, to go right in Italy. So I thought, okay, I'll just go back to uni. I'll go do nutritional sciences. So I went to MMU, did one year nutritional sciences, um, got a first, but I was like. I'm not necessarily interested in coaching the the elite in nutrition. Yeah. I'm more interested in, you know, just sort of, you know, the cycling enthusiast trying to get the fundamentals in there, habit building. I think yeah. well, I really need a degree for this. And I was also interested in business. So um, I flipped uh, my degree. I was able to take my credit points in Australia and move into second year uh, business and marketing. So to the, did business and marketing, but it was through that time. So doing Oak Rulos, so doing all the coaching, the events, studying university full time. I sort of got to a point within my coaching career where it's like there's only a certain level of personalization you can give to a writer because, you know, time you know, restricts you. Otherwise you start, you know, okay, it's more like template-based training, but yeah. you know, then you lose a personalization. And then I'm yeah. thinking from a writer's perspective that having a personalized coach is, is expensive. You know, when we think, you know, you've got family, you've got work, you've got cycling. And then within that cycling, you know, you want the events, you want the bikes, you want the kit, nutrition, and then it might become, okay, you know, coaching and, you know, to have a personalized coach, you know, you're looking at a hundred, 150, 150 pounds a month at a minimum. Yeah. yeah. And through my coach, you know, I was thinking, well, you know, you, you go through a lot of repetition, you know, wh- what are the phases, you know, what are the goals, you know, what key demands do we need to, you know, hit, you know, through this training plan. Um, and I was good friends and still good friends with, with Chris Newton. We thought, I wonder if we could sort of automate this process. So, um, you know, quite fortunate um, that we're able to get the original concept built by a Manchester agency. Um, so started to sort of building these algorithms so so but i made every mistake building a tech product to start off with you know didn't really get many sort of writers involved we thought we sort of knew everything we sort of knew what sort of writer it would be and it's almost like a muddled product so the vision there but we couldn't execute on it and so we sort of took it to a few riders once we sort of finished it it just flopped but what we sort of learned is that um you know with coaching is that you have the data side the algorithms but what's probably even equally as important is the softer side is how do you communicate the training you know how do you give the feedback how do you give perspective how do you motivate yeah Um, and probably that's even more challenging than the data side interesting yeah so it's sort of been spoke's been about for three years um, okay really only in the market um for for the last 12 months so launched 12 months ago why why don't you tell everyone a little bit about about the platform and and how it works and, and and who it's for really yeah. So Spoked is an online cycling coach. So our ambition is to make it simple to train smarter. So the way it works is all done via algorithms and you set up your own personalized plan. So you tell Spoked, you know, what is your goal? You know, when can you train during the week? So you can adjust your availability anytime. Uh, you link your account. So it collects your data from Strava and you can push your workouts into Garmin and you set your fitness level. So that's just setting your zones. And if you don't know your zones, you can just simply train by feel. So that's our. RPE, rate of perceived exertion. And so 
Every week you get a new program and every week's program is sort of based on four variables. So it looks at plan versus actual. So the plan time that you said versus what did you actually do? So it's about trying to get that balance between volume and intensity. Every every plan session has a perceived RPA score or intensity score. So it looks at you know perceived intensity versus actual intensity, and then it factors in your sleep and your energy levels. So based on those four variables, it will adjust next next week's training plan. Amazing. So sleep and energy levels that that all is goes into the all part data entry points as part of the algorithm as well. Correct. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that I think for the longest time we were just chatting off air, weren't we? That I think that you know you have obviously there is a market for for all of these things, but I do think there is a big market for a product like this. So if you've been using a out the box training plan which has sort of been designed generically for for a huge huge population, it's not personal, but it may work to you to a point where you feel like you've hit a plateau or you need something a little bit more personalised. You've got busy busy sort of life and family then something like this gives you that sort of personal touch without going the extra mile for for coaching i suppose that's that's the market you're aiming for is it correct yeah so it's sort of that not necessarily sort of a stepping stone but it's another option for riders so what we're trying to bring is you know the personalization but also the accessibility of yeah. all those training templates yeah yeah brilliant well this is probably a good opportunity to uh, to bring mark in as well mark's very kindly been been sat on the uh, on the call as well so what we what we thought we'd do when when rich and i spoke prior to recording was find find a willing volunteer who who would join us who, who's been training in a structured way who we could put through the spokes platform for a number of weeks and then we'd record we're going to record again in a few weeks time to see to see how Mark got on. So, Mark, thank you for joining us. Thank you for being our, our willing volunteer. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. No, no problem. It's a, it's a pleasure. Looking forward to it. Good. Well, look, uh, before we sort of, Rich sort of talks you through Spokes, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you've trained historically or over the last couple of years? Do you use structured training? What, what's your been your sort of process? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I have used structured training. I mean, I'm a, probably your, your sort of classic, you know, mid-40s family man. You know, I, I cycle sort of, I don't know, seven to ten hours a week. Um, I go for those sort of big rides with mates on, on the weekend. And then I do my structured training during the week. And, and I've been using one of the well-known training apps, which is very structured, you know, a lot of interval training and, you know, sort of following, you know, your, 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 your weekly TSS scores. And actually, I've also used training peaks to, to sort of monitor, you know, my training load and try to, to, to work out, you know, look at my, my fitness and fatigue scores and trying to sort of work out where I am and how I feel and where, where I need to sort of draw back my training. But, you know, I think the last year I got my fitness to, to, to a good level, but I think I definitely was reaching a point of sort of plateauing and I, I, there was, I felt like I couldn't sort of grow any further. And I think that was mainly down to the fact that I just always felt fatigued, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I just felt, always felt knackered and, and I didn't really know, you know, I, I probably wasn't, you know, training optimally. You know, I, I, I was sort of, I, I really taught myself I've never used a coach and so uh, you know I, I probably wasn't doing a, a great job of it if I'm perfectly honest um, I probably learned some of the, the, the sort of you know the, the, the bad habits of just sort of pushing hard all of the time and not resting enough there you go Rich is that is that the sort of prime target by the sounds of things yeah it, like there's a couple of principles like within the training is is sort of having that confidence to really make it stuff easy and to sometimes step off the bike feeling like you can do more yeah. because it is a nice feeling to you know, ride hard, you know, feel like you've done a workout, but in that only gets you so far. And, you know, like you've said, Mark, it's sort of your form plateaus. Yeah. So, so the goal with structured training is to sort of get that 
polarized effect. So where, you know, when you're enduring stuff, you know, you really keep that endurance. You know, see, so it's almost like you're just picking your nose, just tapping along. But what that enables you to do is that when it comes to you know, the top end threshold, VO2, you can really rip it, really dig deep, and you really get the benefits that way. And so you're making sort of smarter use of that sort of seven to 10 hours that you have per week. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the tough, tough thing, isn't it? It's, it's sort of you know, easing off and not pushing it. I mean, I'm the sort of person I just always like to be pushing myself. And I think certainly the structured program that I've been using in the past is always it's always been about sort of build 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 you know push 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 it's all about the sort of how, how much intensity you're doing over the over the week and it's in this particular app you know there's, there's very little sort of you know lower zone level type of work and i guess you know my body just it felt like my body wasn't really recovering properly i mean certainly when i was recovering when i did just sort of ease off the training felt like i was you know, I, I was I had a lot of energy again, but I wanted to feel that often, if you know what I mean. I just, I just fatigued too often. Rich, that's a good point. I mean, one, if, sorry to interject there. But why, for those people listening who, why don't you tell everyone the importance of zone two riding? Because I think I think people, it's a hard, it's hard to be that disciplined, particularly around the zone two bit. Everyone wants to go hard or, or get stuck in that zone three, four junk miles. Yeah, I think we've just got to frame zone two in the way that it benefits your top end work in that, you know, you're doing it for a reason. Even though it's easy, you've got to have that perspective to say, okay, I'm having an easy session now because so it's Tuesday because I know Thursday I've got a tough session. And I know if I take it easy now, I'm going to be able to really dig deep on that Thursday session. And also with those easy sessions, it probably allows you to sort of, you know, mix around with your nutrition also. You know, you may try doing your low intense days, maybe do a low carb ride or, you know, or mix it, you know, play around um, with your nutrition, you know, see how your body reacts. Yeah. Okay. And here's, here's a question to you then, just when you were riding as a pro, how much of your sort of week sort of out of season was low intensity sort of zone two riding? A lot of it was uh, just sort of steady away in the bunch, just uh, tapping away. So there's sort of, yeah. it's uh, the season, so, you know, you have your race season. So yeah, so it's yeah. almost like race recover and you're not yeah. really sort of progressing the training. It's like taper in, recover, taper in. But with the off season, it's like, okay, so we know racing is going to start in February and you just sort of slowly um, build for February. But we we're quite fortunate um, yeah, in Australia that our off season is summer and then you've got the summer crits. So our training would be, you know, bunch you know tough way get some hours in but then we'd have yeah. the crit and that and the crits that's where we get our intensity but yeah. it's very much the goal where you want to feel like you're just underdoing it slightly yeah. you don't want to be feel like you're maxing out all the time because otherwise yeah. you're just going to fizzle out yeah. and that sort of having the confidence to feel like yeah okay i could do more but i'm happy here the numbers are good and, and this sort of ties me into you know what we're trying to achieve with spoke is that you know i see you know there's there's fitness numbers and it's like People are chasing a number and that rewards, you know, people who are consistently riding, you know, you know, putting in hours, doing the hard training because it accumulates a lot of intensity and the TSS yeah. points. Yeah. But that leads you into sort of making every workout hard just because you want to get 70, 80 or, you know, this 90 fitness level. I'm a big believer in, you know, using benchmarks to me- measure progress. So, you know, what is your goal? So to say, you know, that's the tap. So it's going to be an endurance-based benchmark. So it could be a 10-minute to 20-minute benchmark. And you test that more frequently. Or even if you do, you know, half of it, just to give you an idea of the legs. Because I – I know, you know, through the experience and talking to riders that if you improve your 20-minute marker, but your fitness number is going down, what one would you rather have? And, and, And that's the question. Yeah. So, so what? So Mark's going to sign up, or he has has signed up with Spoke, and we're going to put him on. Is it eight weeks? Did we decide? 
Yeah, eight weeks. Yeah. And what's that going to look like? But yeah, I believe Mark, if you, you know, signed up, we're going to go with the FT builder builder plan. Yeah, that's right. And so with that eight weeks, is that so every plan you know works through the training phases. So you'll probably um, fall into sort of the build two, build three with a one week taper at the end. And that taper is all about priming you for the next 20 minute test. So what I would suggest is before you start is write a 20 minute test or even just maybe even write like a 12 minute one, because I believe you've been writing for a few years now is that you'll be able to gauge, you know, where you're at. If you were to do a 12 minute test, you know, within yourself, how, you know, whether you could hold that or not. So we have a before marker and you may even do uh, you know, a 10 minute test um, four weeks in, you know, it's not necessarily, you don't need to ride the 20 minutes. It's just to sort of give you an indication. Am I on or not? And then at the end here, yeah, we'll retest. Okay. And, and are those tests included in the, in, in the online platform or should I just do a, you know, an FTP test and, and then, you know, input the data once I've done that? We don't necessarily recommend uh, when to do the test, but we have a lot of communication around through sort of the emails and the social and within the community of when is the best time to do the test. So w- within the, the taper periods, we're starting to, well, let's take a step back. So when, when you're training and you're adjusting your availability, you can change it however way you want. You can, you can do Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Spoke will give you a plan to suit your availability. But when it comes to the, the taper, we almost have like a sort of a semi-fixed taper period where we're trying to, through the taper period, make you familiar with the taper period so you can un- identify the sensations and the numbers. So if, we, if you were to do this taper period again, you can sort of, you know, compare it over time. Yeah, understood. So it's continuously evolving, basically. A hundred percent. So, we're, you know, I'm not saying spoke is uh, at the level um you know, we'll have the backing or the financial um, uh, ability uh, of, you know, say Swift or Trainer Road or the larger partners out there. But we have just closed a round of funding, um, Congratulations. which will allow us to sort of take some some big step changes within the platform. So, uh, you know, our core team is that I'm, you know, I'm on it full time. We have a, a full time developer. We have a, a great tech network and we also have fantastic, you know, with, with coaches. So we've got Emily Nelson and Mark Stewart, who are mentors part of the community with Chris Newton and, and even just the writer community on Facebook. So it's almost like, you know, we're like, you know, an early stage tech business that's growing and that's going to be making some big changes over the next few months. Amazing. And t- well, tell us a bit about the vision then. So well, why don't we go backwards actually? Well, why don't you tell us about the journey to where we're at at the moment, sort of ups and downs and how obviously you had this fantastic idea a couple of years ago. You wanted to get it going. Where do you start? How's the journey been? You've got some great coaches on board. How, talk us through it all. The journey's been super tough. I think just because what we're trying to execute, um, you know, from you know onboarding a rider, from setting a goal to all the way to achieving your goal there's a lot of sort of scenarios that a rider goes through and tr- is trying to cover every single one so the last sort of three you know two and a half years been really sort of focused on the back end algorithms to make them as flexible as possible for the rider but as it's been in the market now for about sort of that 12 months we've learned a lot from a front-end perspective in terms of, you know what are you looking for you know what data are you craving? So we, you know, our values is, you know, it's been smart and, and simple. 
So it's that simplicity, is, you know, is hard to achieve, but I really like the challenge. Yeah. So we, we don't want to, you know, be a training peaks or today's plan where, you know, it's, it's data heavy and it's a fantastic platform, you know, to dig and drill into your data. We yeah. just want to sort of take a higher level view and yeah. just show, you know, data points that sort of just sort of move the needle. And it's like yeah. enough to give you confidence that, yep, this training is working for me. And, and so what we're at the moment is that I'm, um, I'm personally sort of designed and sort of spoke V2 and yeah. hopefully take it to the market sort of early next year fantastic brilliant and, and you've got a how many how many athletes are you sort of working with at the moment how many athletes have you got on there well we definitely have a few hundred on the platform at the moment which is uh is really nice but yeah. it's it, it's been difficult in terms of raising awareness but uh being very fortunate that we've been able to partner with some really fantastic sort of organizations and brands so we're the smart training partner for Welsh cycling federation and oh, wow. um just recently um so with covid and saying all the events uh, went to pop so it gave us the opportunity to sort of work on the youth side of cycling and look at their sort of pathway system so if we look at the pathway system there's sort of number of you know stakeholders so you have you know the Welsh cycling coaches who look after the top 10, 15%, you know, trying to, you know, take them, you know, further through the pathway. You have go ride coaches who are generally um, parents who work full time and maybe done, you know, level two, level three BC course, but yeah. they don't have the time to, you know, to write individual plans. And then sort of parents can come from various backgrounds. So some do have a cycling background, but I think majority don't come from a cycling background. So there's an opportunity there that we've sort of done a very small pilot, um, working with a couple of riders and parents and the coaches to bring spoke um, into play. And it's sort of exposing more riders to structure training. So, you know, trying the polarized effect, you know, the benefits of rest, benefits of perspective to try, you know, increase the, the level as a whole. Increase so, the education but, around it as well. hundred percent. So, you know, we, we had spoke to, we're not all, it's not about, you know, suffering and, you know, being you know, the ultimate and being the super best, but it's taking more of a holistic, holistic perspective. Yeah. So, you know, trying to get the key principles in your cycling, you know, look at your environment, you know, um, you know, the framing, the referencing, you know, and the enjoyment of it all. You know, when I reflect upon my career you know when i rode the best is when i enjoyed riding the bike when it didn't feel like a chore yeah um, and you mentioned that earlier you've always been interested in in sort of the habit forming piece as well which is why you're taking uh, how athletes are feeling sleep quality that's all so integral to to the process isn't it a hundred percent so it's like you know happy mind fast legs yeah too true well look mark if what when we when we come back in a few weeks it'd be great to get your sort of take not only how it's affected your performance but also in terms of how you found the interface the the experience the community really so we can articulate to everyone listening who might be interested in this 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 kind of platform the experience that you've had sure Course, really look forward to it. Cool, Rich. Have you got any? Have you got any questions for Mark, or that you want to sort of ask publicly, or, or, or is there anything else you want to bring up, or raise, or address? Well, have you done a twenty-minute test recently? No, I haven't done one for a while, so I probably should start off by doing one. And how many hours do you, are you going to be commuting uh, to the bike? So I, I, re- I reckon probably about seven, seven to ten hours, roughly. I mean, I, I tip, you know, obviously the week changes, week from week changes, but I reckon probably, you know, around seven hours is, is, is realistic. Yeah. And what would success look for you at the end of that eight weeks? Success for me is an improvement in my, I suppose, my, my power numbers and also just enjoying being on the bike more, you know, just feeling stronger and, you know, that, that feeling of feeling stronger, if you know what I mean. That's what I'm sort of after, really. I mean, I had a, had a good year last year. Um, I was happy with you know where I was, but certainly this year has been more difficult with lockdown and no events and no targets being being um, you know in place. So yeah, I think um, you know to sort of 
like I say, to feel stronger. Yeah. Uh, one, la- one last question. Is there any areas in cycling you want to learn more about? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I think for me, it's, it, this is probably good timing because I'm definitely, if I was to have a, a personal coach, I've never had one, I would definitely be talking to that coach about fatigue and how I manage fatigue. And it's been something that I've been trying to sort of understand myself through the structured programs that I've been doing because fatigue is the feels like fatigue is the thing that I've always been battling with and I've always sort of questioned how on earth do the professionals do this over and over again yes obviously physiologically there, there's some differences and you know not, you know been training all their life but but I think managing the fatigue is, is something like I say that I've always found difficult and that could be my nature that I, I don't sort of sit back and relax when I should be or, or it could just be that you know I've just sort of I'm following the wrong training program and using the wrong um, the wrong apps maybe they just don't work that well for me and how, how are you managing the fatigue now or, or before you're following the plans when, when I'm following the plans um I think basically I just sort of plow on through it um, and just keep on going and then if I have a, a, a an event coming up or if I have a big ride that's coming the weekend I do typically say right I just need to rest you know because I know through experience that you know, I'm not going to perform my best if I don't just take some time off but the problem is I'm not probably not I haven't been taking enough time off when I'm being doing my structured training, so I'm, I'm probably not being letting my body recover uh, and rejuvenate, and you know, and build the you know, rebuild the right muscles. Um, uh, and so the training's been harder than it needs to be, if you know what I mean. It's been more of a drag, and actually, I think this year it's got to the point where I sort of feel a little bit like, well, do I really want to do this training today? You know, I'm not actually enjoying it that much. Yeah, and I think when you get to that point of like, if the enjoyment's gone, it's like, oh. I'll just either have a super easy session or don't ride at all or do something different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it strange because it does almost, I mean, we all love the sport of cycling, but when you start structured training, it's easy to slip into a bit of a process where it almost becomes addictive and, and you're worried about missing sessions. And if you look, if I look back and think about all the riders I've raced with, the ones that sort of rode at a very high level um, as youngsters and came through systems, they were always the best at sort of, knowing when to rest even if it seemed crazy you're like why are you was saturday you got to ride we've got to go out and they'll be like no today's not good i need to take a day off but they just seem to know their body that much better but i think for a lot of people that seems so unnatural or illogical it doesn't seem it doesn't seem the right thing to do why would you not go out why would you take a rest day well, it's what you said earlier richard i mean it was you know you, you sort of think that more is better and so the fear of not doing a session you think oh i'm just going to start going backwards you know and, and i think that's certainly for me you know just being fixated on the numbers looking at you know one don't i'm not, not wanting my power to, to sort of go down so it's just like i've got to do this training session i've just got to keep on plowing through and, and sometimes it'll be okay and I, I enjoy it but i think you know like you said earlier more is not necessarily always better and sometimes you just got to scale it back um so i think that's going to be my big challenge for for this for this you know this trial is to sort of really make sure that i'm disciplining myself and i'm you know scaling back and resting when i need to rest and, and training the zones that I've been given, you know, and not going out and just smashing it up because I feel like when I'm on the road, I've just got to get the highest power number I, you know, I, I possibly can get, and that's that equals, you know, improvement. So, you know, I think that's probably going to be the challenge for me is just you know, disciplining myself in that respect. Hundred percent. I think it's like control discipline because for me, a structured training plan is something that fits around you. And so, if you, you know, feeling good and you want to do, say, a swift race, or you know, you go out on the chain gang. And you've got a, you know, I don't know, say three by eight threshold efforts. I'd want you to go out on that swift race 
I would go out on that chain gang. So in Spoke, we have a concept like called a free ride. So it's on that day, you just add a free ride and you upload your workload into that. And that what that ensures is that that workload that you've done for this week will be adjusted next week. So just say you've overcooked your VO2 and your anaerobic um, capacity. So you really sort of max top end work. Well, you're going to have less of that next week to ensure yeah. you don't overcook it. And that's perfect. And that's exactly what, you know, the, the other programs sort of don't do for you. You know, you have to end up sort of deleting a session or moving them around, you know, trying to figure out, okay, well, what have I missed and what, you know, where am I? So I think that's, that's, I think that, I guess that's what you get from, usually get from a, a personal coach, right? And this is where, yep. what software is really going to offer. And I think for me, that, that could be really beneficial. Yeah, that's awesome. And Rich, what, what, tell us about your own riding at the moment. Are, are you still raining, race, well, not racing, obviously, but you're still riding for enjoyment, but are you, are you using your own product to use the instructor training? Yeah, I was. I was uh, at sort of the start of lockdown. I was following the plan. Uh, did I did three plans, so I sort of trained for about eight to twelve weeks. And yeah, form form was good. I was sort of able to essentially, like for me, my motivation is not to race because I I'm scared now. I don't want to take the risk. But I'm I'm interested in like you know going for those KOMs. You know that sort of it's a bit of competitive. So I was able to get to a level where. Anything for that 10 second to four minutes in the flats, I could sort of pop it off. But having just closed around, all my focus now is back on the business. Yeah, of course. So, of course. so, it, so what it, kind it, of hours are you doing a week? Well, on the bike or work? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure the work is a yeah. lot, but on the, on the bike, on the bike. I'm trying to stay consistently sort of anywhere, say, it's low, but like three to six hours. Okay. So if I can yeah. get a frequency of sort of two to three, I'm quite happy with that. So for me, like my level, all I just want to be able to do is just have a, you know, a solid, you know, two hour ride and then have coffee cake at the end. That's my kind of riding. <laughs> so um, look, obviously we're going to, we're going to put all the details for Spoked into the show notes. If, if people are curious, do you have a sort of help page or a chat that people can come and have a, ask questions before signing up? What, what's the process for someone that's interested and got a few questions before they sign up or is there a trial period? What, tell us all about that. Yeah, so to sign up, go to spoke.com and then just press get started. So there's a 14-day free trial. We don't ask for your credit card up front. So you can pop in your email, your password, and away you go. But if you do have any questions, um, you can reach out to us um, at GetSpoke uh, on, on the socials, so on Instagram, or you can drop me an email at hello at spoke.com. I'm more than happy you know, to organize a, you know, a chat, and we can just talk about your cycling and how we can help you. Excellent. We'll get all that in the show notes. So, Mark, you've got um, a nice nice eight weeks block now. You can't let us down. You've got, you've got to see it through. Yeah, don't worry, I'll, I'll be training hard. What we'll do, we'll 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 come back and we'll record another show in, in those eight weeks, and we'll talk about how you found the 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 platform and and the progress you've made, and yeah, it'll be good to to get some feedback. And just to sort of stress that Mark is a uh, is a friend of mine, no, no connection to Rich. I wanted to find someone completely uh, independent, so this is uh, a, a true a true test. Looking forward to it. Excellent. And Rich, have you been enjoying the the racing starting back up again? Do you still follow it? Oh yeah, no. I watch Strada. I watch uh, Milan San Remo. Unbelievable, guys. isn't it? Yeah. What's your take on how the races have have started? Obviously, the the, the pros haven't had normally don't normally get this opportunity to to be so structured with their training for such a sustained amount of time. Normally, it's sort of race season right so do you think we're seeing that in some of the the race results we're seeing well it's been interesting to sort of see who's on and who's not and yeah. you know like obviously like the you know the pinnacle for a lot of the teams is the tour de france and we can yeah. see now that you know lotto are like on it you know they're, they're sm- their core climbing team is just smashing yeah. it and then Ineos, right? 
uh, you know, it's like, you know, you got Bernal, but where, you know, where are the other guys? You know, not, not there, know. but you can't discount Ineos because they just have a knack for peaking at the right time. Yeah. But it's like, what's it, the tour now? Four weeks away or something? Not even, I don't think. Yeah. So, and they looked, uh, struggling the other day. And, and, and they are of peaking, and there's obviously a lot of science. But do you feel that, like, what's the difference between team to team? Obviously, you've got different groups of coaches, but, like, are they taking different approaches? Or what, what, what's the differentiation between different training approaches for some of these teams and riders? I, I would think the training approaches are sort of very similar. You know, what are the key demands? What are the key climbs? You know, what power do we need to push up there to, you know, achieve, you know, a top three result? But I, I think probably the teams with the bigger budgets, they're probably exploring a lot more in sort of the nutrition, you know, the mindset, um, you know, and sort of looking at, you know, other things, you know, what like Dave Browser's coined the term, you know, marginal gains, that, you know, what's going to bring that half a percent, one percent, you know, to the big, um, you know, to, to the race result. But I think the fundamentals, it's probably very similar from team to team, yeah. but probably the budget just allows them to sort of do those extra things. But, but in terms of coaching per se as well, you know, obviously looking for marginal gains in everything from pillows to food to everything, yeah. but just on the pure coaching science, has that evolved in the last, uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years or is that continuing to evolve? What, what, you know, what's the latest on that side of things? I think we can measure a lot more now. So, yeah. so it's a data, it's the data points, more data points, right? Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but I think also what makes the sport so beautiful is that, you know, they say it's 60% mental, 40% physical. Yeah. And so you can get if an athlete physically right, but it mentally has such a huge impact. And so my, my mindset or my thing is that, you know, you have these, you know, the top coaches, and you can see they don't always get it right that, you know, some athletes just arrive and they just have nothing. So I, I've always in the belief that if you can get to the event in good legs, you don't need brilliant legs, just have good legs that you're able to sort of dig deep. You know, you've got something in the legs and you can, you're going to produce a good result. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got that mental strength. And that's yeah. why riders always go on a bit of a winning streak because they just believe they can do it and then when they do it and it's just it happens again right you get into yeah. a, a bit of a run and w what about other sort of areas of, of performances i mean we're starting to read things about breath work is that something that you did as a pro or do you think that's that's something that some of the teams are looking at uh well we were quite not so old school but quite simple like in ais we weren't even like allowed caffeine you know not even like a can of coke before the race but something that we're going to be doing in spoke is really looking at the nutrition so i'm um, okay. really good mates with charlie um and Pete from Qualified Nutrition, and they coach a number of sort of um, pro athletes. But generally, cyclists underfuel dramatically. Yeah. So if we think, you know, going fast on the bike requires carbs, and there's research out there that, you know, you could be eating 90 to maybe 120 grams of carbs per hour. And that's like a huge amount because we're always in this mindset of like, you know, power to weight, we've got to drop weight. And we always think, oh, to drop weight, we'll cut out carbs. But like I'm always sort of more performance first. I look. I mean, my career, I got caught up bad with food. You know, um, yeah, had a bad relationship with it, but come out on the other side now. But something that we're going to be putting into spoke is almost that based on your ride duration and intensity, have a guideline or a suggested guideline for the carbs that you should eat per hour, and okay. based on your weight and the ride duration and the expected calories of the ride, is yeah. recommend what you should eat before and after the ride, so there's no second guessing. Yeah, that's important. That's I, th I think what happened. Well, I might be wrong, but I think so many people just get bits of information from you know from social 
social media, internet, and it and it can become quite dangerous. The, the food thing, right? It's for everyone, not not just not just at elite level. Oh yeah, like you know, you read a cycling news article that says you know Garrett Thomas has lost three kilos for the tour. You're thinking he's lost three kilos. I mean, I've got to lose three. I've got at least ten kilos to lose. I was like, yeah. nah, it's just yeah. So I, it's always like performance first. Where you know, are you doing the fundamentals? You know, are you sleeping well. You know, are you eating well. You know, are you you training consistently, feeling good on the bike? If you sort of get these things right, it, it almost the nutrition almost looks after itself to a certain degree. You know, you have to be mindful of it, but it's just sort of getting into the routine. You get in the uh, routine, you get into the balance. And that's what I've always found so difficult. I think it's so easy to focus on on hitting your sessions, but actually, it, and, and I also think that people just think nutrition and hitting the sessions equals performance, but just general life stress management and sleep quality, those two are equally as important as, important as the other two as well. It sounds like your sort of future vision for Spokes is building a more sort of holistic you know, looking at all these elements. Is that right? hundred percent. So like a key experience that we're driving towards is that let's just say you train um, every Tuesday evening at five o'clock because yeah. we're building the auto sync and we and spoke to asks you, when do you go to bed? When do you wake up? And what is your quality of sleep? And then it starts identifying trends. So it starts identifying trends that every Tuesday, your sleep quality is poor and spoke to automatically adjust your Tuesday evening session. So and then the following Saturday, as it's looked over the last four weeks, is that notice that every Saturday you sleep like crap. And then you'll receive a no- notification and you go, hey, we noticed that you know, haven't been sleeping too well. Have you tried these three things? And yeah, then if yeah, you have yeah. a good Tuesday session, it'll reward you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of technology and data and the way the world's moving, isn't it? To be able to do that. And I think that as humans, we can be so, we're not particularly conscious of why our performance fluctuates. And, and it can be, if you look at the data, it's probably quite obvious. And, you know, oh, I didn't sleep that well last night, but I hadn't thought about that. I naturally blame the fact that it was something else. 100%. Cool. Look, um, thank you both very much for for taking the time to uh, sit and chat to me. Rich, it sounds like a fantastic product. We look forward to hearing how Mark gets on over the next few weeks and we'll all catch up again in uh, eight weeks time. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Jules. Brilliant. Anyone listening, do get in touch and Rich's details will be in the show notes as well. So you can drop in an email and I'm sure he'll be happy to help. 100%. Brilliant. Cheers, guys. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the podcast. And more importantly, don't forget to download the Unfound app and join cyclists from around the world on the hub. We'll see you on there.